From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh. Here we are on a Thursday evening. That must mean it's The Dice Men Cometh in the Edge Radio studios. Now, firstly, happy 16th birthday, Edge Radio. Sweet 16. Yeah. Now, when we started, they were only 10 or so. How old do we feel? Yeah, that's right. But we feel young tonight, Garth, while we're here in the studio to talk about board games, card games, role-playing games, gaming conventions, gaming awards, all things board games, tabletop games, all that stuff. Garth, welcome back. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Nice of you to turn up for once. I can't even remember where I was last week. Was I here? No, I wasn't. You just, I think you just got back like half a day before or something from Sri Lanka. I don't know, but it is lovely to be back on tonight's 282nd episode of The Dicemen mm. Cometh because, unfortunately, Leon is working, making all the chocolate and the money, but tonight's show is another jam-packed episode where you have to talk about some PAX. Yep. We've got some interviews that you did when you were at PAX. We've got to talk about some games. And we've got to talk about that we are now proudly sponsored by LFG Looking for Gamers. And in particular, we want to remind people about the uh, Looking for Gamers LFG Essen Unplugged event yes. taking place on the 22nd to the 24th of November 2019 at the Eastlake Football Club in Canberra. Exactly. And if you want to bring a game with you and have it signed and possibly defaced by your <laughs> favourite board game podcast... Both Mark and I will be there. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing you all there. We look forward to seeing Charles from LSG. And thank you so much, Charles, for your ongoing sponsorship of our show. Now, Garth. Absolutely amazing. Yes. It's the 31st of October today. Do you know what that means? I don't know, but it feels a little spooky. This is where I try not to let the old man in me take over and say, Halloween, it's not an Australian Get off my lawn. You kids in costumes with your pumpkin lolly baskets. Oh, look, as a father to two young children, mm-hmm. one of whom is not so young and is now too too cool for this, <laughs> but my daughter is out hopefully being supervised, roaming the streets of a suburb <laughs> of Hobart, looking like Medusa. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. And also hopefully bringing back chocolate for Dad. Yeah, well, look, to celebrate... This thing that we don't like to celebrate. We actually, we had a games night last night and after we played a couple of other games, we had a bit of time left at the end. You pulled out Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters or as I like to call it, Geister Geister Schatzuk Meister, which is of course the 2014 Kinderspiel winner. Yeah, yeah, so look... The story behind this game and my association with it Mm. goes way back two weeks where Leon messaged me saying, hey, God, someone's selling this, you should totally buy it. (laughs) So I messaged the guy and said, I'll buy it because the guy was in Hobart and it was a really good price. I said, I'll buy it. And he was really nice and said, I'll sell it to you. By the way, I'll sell it to you in a couple of weeks' time when you get back to Australia. So we did that and it was perfect. And, look, I tried... Oh, I'm so glad my other half doesn't listen to this show. (laughs) 
I tried to play it on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We discussed this as a family when all four of us were in the same place at the same time. I said, let's go and learn and play Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. I think it'll be really good. It'll be fun. We all work together. Mm. And my son particularly is, is not a fan of competitive games. He really just loves the co-op. Yeah. So I thought, this is him. So three of us sat down and we learned it in the space of five minutes. And I go to my loving partner. Hey, Joe, time, let's go. We, we know how to play. She goes, what now? Doesn't sound like that, but like what now? You got to clean the house. <laughs> so I went, yes, darling. So I cleaned the house. Oh, I vacuumed, did several loads of washing, did a few other bits and pieces. Now, admittedly, mm-hmm. that still doesn't go anywhere near to like a fifty-fifty split. She is very much yeah. the dominant partner in house taking care of this. Yes, yes. And I love every second of her and yep. she is perfect. However... Hello, Joe. What it means... I'm so glad she doesn't listen. <laughs> is that now on Thursday the 31st of October... Yeah. Still haven't played it as a family. But you've got that to look forward to, Garth. We did play it. We did. Oh, yes, getting back you, to that. me, Leon's wife, Sarah. Sarah. No, oh, no, that's, that's your, that's that's your fiancé, yeah. And... Uh, and Bo, our good friend, Leon sat out because it only plays four. And he's also played it quite a few times. Yes, yes, that's Leon, right. Leon, do you want to have anything to say? No. All right. <laughs> so, look, in this game, up to four players are cooperatively entering a house, cooperatively finding jewels for some reason. Hunting treasures. And cooperatively leaving the house before six of the, ha- the rooms become haunted. Mm. It is a very basic game in that on each turn, the player will roll a die. The die on five of the six faces will have a ghost symbol as well as a movement. And surprisingly, the dice uh, faces are numbered one through to six. So I think it's called the D6. Yes. Uh, On five of those six faces, as I say, it has a ghost symbol as well as the number. You will roll your die. You will then go, and uh, if you've rolled anything except a six, Mm -hmm. you'll flip over a card. The card will tell you what room letter you need to put another ghost in. Yeah. If you're playing the advanced variant, the card may say green or blue doors are now locked and it might say draw a few more cards and shuffle the deck. Yeah. That's the advanced version. So you'll draw your card. Unless you've rolled a six, you'll place a ghost in a room. You'll then be able to move the number of spaces equal to whatever roll you did, which would be one through to six. Yeah. You will then, for most of the game, if you're Mark, question why is there a one (laughs) on a roll and move game just because you're a cranky old person, well, and that's fine. Look, to me, that that was my my only real complaint because it was a lot of fun. But in a roll and move game where there are lots of spaces to move, I mean, yes, the rooms are all close together, but in the passageways there's a lot of spaces, getting a one is like almost like don't have a turn. Correct. So, look, the hallways of this particular house are made up of tiny little squares and every square is a space, mm. whereas when you're in a room, a whole room is a space. Yep. So a one can get you from a room to another room. Yep. But so you'll go into a room, you'll do your move, and then you get the option to pick up a treasure. Now, in the base version of the game, your sole objective is to get all eight treasures out the front door. In the advanced game, you flip over the treasures and they are numbered one through to eight and you can only take them out of the house in numerical order from one through to eight. Yep. Because we're gamers, we played the advanced version <laughs> and right. then uh, lost. So in the base game, you pick up a treasure and you want to get your ghost fighting treasure hunter out. 
after you have had the ability to pick up a thing, should it be in the room, you can then fight ghosts. And fighting ghosts is very simple. You roll the attack die, which is another d6, which is made up of blank faces, faces that have a ghost symbol on them, and also faces that have a haunting symbol. Mm. If you roll a face that has a ghost symbol, you remove one ghost from the room that you're in. Happy days. Punch a ghost in the face. And that's the end of your turn. And you go around and what your goal is is to ultimately, as I say, get all eight treasures out of the house. Now, the problem is if you keep just drawing these cards on your turn and more ghosts come out and come out and come out, Mm. whenever there are three ghosts in a room, they disappear or vaporise or de-ghost, whatever the terminology is, and get replaced with a haunt. Now... In this game, the components are really cool and really cute and really nice. There's beautiful little three-dimensional kind of squishy ghosts that look friendly and scary. They're very cool. And there are also six larger haunt. They kind of look like, I don't know, a flame, a volcano a that's all red and plastic. scary red flame ghost that looks a bit angry. Yes. And you sort of, when you walk in a room, if you were a ghost fighting treasure hunter, you'd... Oh, You'd be taken aback when you saw it. Correct. Yeah. So if there are ever three ghosts in the room, they get replaced with a haunt, and haunts are bad because if there are ever six haunts in six rooms, mm. you immediately lose. Yeah. The other bad thing about haunts is that one solo ghost fighting treasure hunter can't fight them alone. There always needs to be two in the room, and if you do that, you roll two battle die, and as long as one of those battle die has drawn a, sorry, rolled a haunt face up, then the haunt just disappears. Yeah. This game goes for maybe half an hour. Yeah. And it goes from being <laughs> so easy. <laughs> so easy to, oh my God. Yeah, we lost. And then you lose. And the reason for that is as soon as a room has three ghosts, it becomes a haunt. Mm-hmm. If that room card is revealed again, then the ghosts are placed in alphabetical order from A through to K or L. I can't remember, but each room has a, has a letter. Yeah. Which means that if a couple of those situations arise, A is going to have a haunt. Yeah. And then B and then C and D. And not surprisingly, particularly A, B, C and D yep. are the furthest away from the door that you need to go in and out of. So they are the rooms that will get royally haunted Really quick, and one of the things that happened in our game was the one, two, at least the one, two, and three treasures were all closer to the door. So we went in, grabbed those treasures, punched a couple of ghosts, went back out. But in the meantime, A and B and C are filling up with horns. Mm. We were then too far away, and bang, it was over. Correct. So look, this game, having only played the advanced version, yep. and we only played it last night, I can see why it won Kinderspiel. Yeah, same. Because already. Without having played it, I can see how the base version is appropriate for younger oh, kids. it's a perfect kids game. And why the advanced version was certainly able to entertain four adults for half an hour and the only complaints you had yep. were that you Take kept on rolling ones. That's right. And had you kept rolling fours, fives and sixes, that wouldn't have been a complaint. And, look, I, I don't think kids are going to pick that up because, hey, they're excited to be playing this quick, fun, silly game that looks absolutely amazing. So, yeah, that was a great Halloween game for us to play. It was really good fun and it was a bargain and I've got an expansion that I didn't even realise I'd paid for Woo-hoo. that is in there. So, anyway, that was our little uh, Halloween fun. We are going to throw to a song and then Mark's going to come back mm. and talk about all kinds of Paxi goodness. So, this is the Dice Men Cometh 
proudly presented by LFG. This is Richard from Melbourne, and when I want to listen to two guys complaining that the other one is half-assing their research about board games, I listen to The Dice Men Cometh. Marilyn Monroe? And Arthur Miller. Did you know that Marilyn Monroe was married to the playwright Arthur Miller? I did, and he wrote Death of a Salesman? Correct. Gee, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> that was uh, Megan Washington with How to Tame Lions. Mm. Nothing to do with Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe, but you are with the Dice Men Cometh. There might be a few people dressed as lions for Halloween. Who knows? Correct. Cowardly ones, maybe? Well, yes. I also don't have a heart. No. Brain? Courage. I can't remember. <laughs> Anywho, Mark, yes. we are about to do your last piece of audio for PAX. This is the third of three weeks of PAX coverage, and I think... Well, firstly, I think PAX have got really good value for money out of our media passes. But secondly, there's a lot going on at PAX. Um, I'm going to come back. We're going to talk to Kim and Jamie from Good Games. We're going to talk about a couple of their games. And then I think right at the end, I'm probably going to t- just give a little bit of a reflection of my impressions of PAX. Um, so I'll keep that up my sleeve. Good. Well, your sleeves are rolled up They already. are. So, look, this is Mark, live from the floors of PAX, mm-hmm. talking to Kim and Jamie, both from Good Games, yep. publishing and retail, respectively. Uh, press the play button and let's all have a listen. All right, so I'm here at PAX with Kim and Jamie from Good Games. Now, Kim, firstly, you from the publishing side. That's right. You've had a really successful year. You had a couple of big Kickstarters. Yeah. Just delivered Unfair and the expansion yeah, recently. Yeah, the expansion um, Kickstarters just delivered, so most people have it now. That's, okay. That's and good. the one we've been waiting on, particularly Leon, yeah. is Guildmaster. Yeah. Can you give us an update on that one? Sure, that's at the printers. So mm-hmm. we're, ex- we're getting an update on when that'll be out, but it'll be... Coming to PAX probably early next year. Awesome. Yeah, so... Um, it's it's also been on the that. table here at PAX. Yeah, we had it running all weekend at PAX. Chris has been doing lots of games. Yes, I saw Chris, and again, it seems to be really popular. In fact, the only question I think we've had and other people had about the games is, how soon can I get it? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, there was a little bit of delay because we just smoothed out the beginning of the game to make sure that everyone's going to have a, a good, viable first turn. Okay. And now you've obviously been here um, in collaboratory, getting around... Uh, seeing as many games as possible, plus the games that you've got to yeah, show off. It's been phenomenal. Like, the whole collaboratory thing, the space that it is, yes. like, it's awesome to have this kind of space at PAX. Most other conventions are happy for board game designers to come and camp out and, and, own, and take a few tables up. Like yes. Usually delightfully happy with that. Um, but, but this whole space here and the whole community that's building around a bit of game designers testing each other's games, yes. helping each other. We can base we've basically spent our whole time here at the show where we've got other people on booths demoing our games and pitching our games. We're just at the collaboratory playing as many games as humanly possible of the ones that we think are, are the most interesting looking or viable. Yeah, and I've been fascinated to see the, the various different designers moving around the tables, playing other people's games, obviously learning, but also giving feedback. It's a great community. It really is, yeah. It's fantastic. And it's helping to mature the board game design community. Because mm. we're so far away from everywhere else. There's a lot of people that want to make board games here. If this was in America, there'd be you know, 10 or 12 or 15 publishers here looking at all the games. And so we feel kind of lucky because there's so many games we're able to... There's more than we can handle, obviously. Yes. 
you've obviously you've put in the hard yards, you've supported Australian designers, you've got the inside running. It's a yeah. great position to yeah, be in. It is. We're, we're enjoying that, but it comes with a certain feeling of not being able to do it, ever to be able to do as much as you wish you could do. Can you give us um, a hint of what's coming down the pipeline then for uh, Good Games Publishing? Yeah, well, at, at this convention, we're really looking to solidify what we are going to do for the next two years. Yes. We're trying to get a two-year forward plan about the games we're going to prioritise, so can't say too much about too far down that, but we know that Guildmaster will come out early next year. Mm -hmm. Unfair has just gone into retail. Yep. Uh, the expansion, I should say, which adds four new theme packs into the basic Unfair game. We've also just, in Australia, launched Fairy Season, yes. which we've brought straight to retail, and Fluttering Souls. Fairy Season's like a tricky tricky card game, goblins chasing fairies around. Pretty good as a light gamer game. Um, it's not a very deep game, but lots of little tricky combos and cheeky plays. Especially it's pretty good as a family game. Yeah, I think we first played that, would it have been here two years ago? Yeah, Can I ask you about one we saw would have been 18 months ago at LFG, yeah. Drift? Drift, yeah. yeah. So that's the next Kickstarter we'll be doing. Oh, fantastic. And that'll be probably first quarter next year. Okay. Uh, that's a fantastic simulation of a racing game. Yes. We never played anything like it when we first played yes. it. Yes. Um, you use these trajectiles a little bit, I suppose, like if you imagine the old Wings of War mm -hmm. or more modern X-Wing. I always think of it like those old pieces of railroad, like wooden wet railroad track right. that fit into each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's good at that. But the great thing about that is that the rules overhead is incredibly simple. Yes. It, you've got cars on a track and you've got these trajectiles that you lay down and the one gear doesn't move very far but it turns really hard. The two gear moves a little bit further but turns less. Yeah. So you, once you get to five, it's almost a straight gear but you go very far. So as soon as you're laying down five tiles and heading into a corner, you have to go down gears. Yes. And it's just so intuitive. And then you drift. There's special tiles for drifting around corners and scoring extra points so that you can use some of the handful of special maneuvers in the game using those points. So it's just really elegant and simple. And that's what we loved about it straight away. I was going to say, I played it at LFG 18 months ago and loved it. I was terrible at it. <laughs> but, yeah, it just it felt really like pretty much complete, yes. which you don't get a lot of time from a, even an advanced prototype. That's right. Yeah, we certainly found a bit of room to tighten things up. Yep. And we're playing around with how we time the thing to keep the right amount of pressure. Like a racing game needs to feel like a racing game. Mm -hmm. You don't have like a five minute planning phase. Yeah. Whether you're going to turn left or right, it's got to feel fast. So we're working on the kind of amount of time. That the pacing. People, the pacing and when we develop an app for it, like what we'll give mm -hmm. and what we'll allow that app to do. So it's kind of the final step. Awesome. I feel like we've worked out everything else except how much time pressure and, yep. and flexibility we give people. And then what about after that? After that, we're going to have something unfair related later mm. in the year. Thought that's, that might happen. Yes, it's, uh, you know, there's certainly been expansion later in the year, but there might be a few other things as well. Oh, um, right. And then uh, Guildmaster will come out in retail yep. as well. And that's one of the things we're working on now is what other games to prioritize okay. around after that. Awesome. And Jamie, I've seen a massive retail presence here, this PAX. I think, to me, larger than I've ever seen before. And I notice also with Good Games, you've got a huge retail booth. We've had Good Games publishing games there being demoed by the Australian distributors of okay. Good Games uh, and doing a whole bunch of promotion for that. And actually, I've just found out recently, Fluttering Souls sold out here as well um, through them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, which makes it back-to-back -back with Gen Con where we sold out yeah. as well. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's a, it's a great little game. Um, but you're absolutely right. The, the retail presence here at PAX is just massive. Mm. Uh, I was uh, even in the other end of the hall where they've got all the video games. They've got a big EV booth. 
And that's got Magic the Gathering and yes. Sun and D&D starters and a whole lot. So everywhere you go at PAX, there's just this presence of tabletop growing, uh, and it's fantastic. One of the uh, I'm actually really good friends with one of the guys who organises PAX Australia. Yes. Uh, and he comes around to my place every week to play Arkham Horror Card Game. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we have a vested interest in tabletop. Yeah. We want to make it bigger, and we want to really show the world that, you know, it goes hand-in-hand with every other kind of game. So PAX is is doing that, and it's right at the forefront. Well, one of the great things you see at PAX is when the time hits 5, 6 o'clock, when most of the video game area sort of shuts down, Mm -hmm. people just pour through to tabletop because you've got open play, you've got retailers still here. It's it's hard to find a space, but it's I think it's really great exposure those people that have come here for the excitement of the great new releases of Cyberpunk 2077 or the new World of Warcraft or whatever, then they stumble here and go, oh, wow, and there's so many things for them to see. It is so wonderful. I mean, last night I was just wandering through the tabletop area looking at people playing games, and there's like three or 400 people there sitting down. It was 11 o'clock at night, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're, and they're just playing everything from... Cards Against Humanity and Werewolf, right up to I went through some people, past some people playing Unfair, and yeah, uh, there was a, there was a bunch that had uh, Trickerion out, and I'm like, I don't even think that's in the game library yeah. here, but you guys are obviously having a great time. What well, they certainly <laughs> have to shove people out the door at the end of the night, that's for sure. People would stay if they could. So congratulations um, on a really great show for both of you. And things are just looking up and up for good games from from both perspectives. Yeah, yeah, we're very happy. And the, the, the amount of games that we have to consider is just, uh, it's kind of phenomenal. And, and really good quality games. And what we're really noticing is just people with skills to put some good polish into the games before they're even presenting to us. So a lot of the games are coming to us that are both really good and also got pretty great um, graphic design already yeah. done. And they're weighing up whether they go Kickstarter themselves or go with the publisher and, and they're at that point but they're making some interesting decisions so it's great it's a great place to be in it really feels like in the four or five years I've been coming here it's a sense of the maturing of the industry is absolutely huge it's and great. for us it's always been one of the strategies that we shouldn't just be retailing games you know we want to we want to take the expertise that we've got from how to sell them yeah. take that backwards to the publishing and to the designers and say, guys, you know, this is how we can make a game hit the market stronger than it's ever going to be able to if you're self-publishing or kickstarting or whatever. Um, it's that the breadth of expertise and the fact that we can pull on everyone in our company from graphic designers to retailers to design technicians, you know, um, to really make a game the best it can yeah. be. Yeah. Well, it can, it can be heartbreaking, I know, to see an Australian designer go to Kickstarter on their own with something that's less than ready and fail and you sort of look at the game and go, well, that's a really good game. It almost deserves to be out there in the market, but because of some factors, it doesn't make it. And I guess you guys are some of the people that can help them get there, whether it's through you. We can't publish all the games that deserve to be published, but we try and help people and advise. I spent like 45 minutes with a guy yesterday just trying to talk through his Kickstarter strategy and what follows from that and production production and just like can you get into retail and what the real issues are there and we try and share our knowledge as best we can yeah and the community here in Australia uh, in design in publishing and in retail it's such um, a caring sharing for one of another better word community where people actually you know you're not looking at each other as competitors you're actually looking at we're building the hobby together 
and that's the biggest slice of pie for everyone. Oh, we're all doing it because we love games, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes sense of um, collaboration and stuff. And yeah. what, uh, I'll just reiterate that it's so awesome that PAX is doing this collaboratory. I think this is a world first. Wow. Am I right? It's for board games. Yes. yes. So basically, they've taken the model that they use for video games that's and right. transposed it over. Yeah. And uh, I gather that now PAX Unplugged sort of has been looking at what PAX Australia yeah. is doing and wanting to grow that. So who knows where it goes? Oh, fantastic. We might see it in other places. Hopefully you'll all get to other PAXs. I wish I might one day, but maybe, you know. Um, but look, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Congratulations Mark. on your success. And we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Mark. Take it awesome. easy. Well, there you go. That was Mark talking from Kim, uh, talking with Kim and Jamie from Good Games Publishing and Good Games Retail. Yes. About packs, about good games, about their upcoming games, about games that are published, about games that aren't. And we're going to talk about one of them that had not going to Kickstarter, and you did discuss it in your interview, Mark, a little one about Flutterbys. That's right. It went straight to retail, this one, and as you heard Jamie say, it's sold out at PAX, and when we say it's sold out, it's not like they had, you know, half a dozen copies. They had loads of copies. Now, this is a small little game. Mm. It's a two-player card game about butterflies. I think it's pronounced Flutterbys. Okay. And so... Designed by Joel Lewis. Now, I don't know if he's done anything else, but he's got uh, his company is Nurse Shark Games. Mm-hmm. I have seen this guy is a social media king. Really? I have seen him everywhere. I have seen him riding his bike with a fluttering soul's lycra shirt. I have seen, I don't know if it was his baby or someone else's baby, because I read on BGG he is a paediatric nurse. And he's just had a baby. Well, his wife's just had a baby. Well, maybe that was it, because I've seen the baby in a baby suit with the Fluttering Souls logo on it. Yep. It has been everywhere. He has been taking pictures of this game and taking pictures of all the merch that he's got. I don't know if it's just one copy, but... Everywhere, so he's done an amazing job. So congratulations to Joel and the team, firstly for selling out at PAX, but secondly for creating a great little two-player game. Now, Garth, we played it today in the pub. We did. While we had a beer before we come down to do the show. Correct. And you only need a small little table, a little pub-sized table to play this game. And what you're doing is you've got a deck of butterfly cards. I'm not going to call them that other name. Good. Um, you have a deck of butterfly cards. You have a deck of, what would you call them, um, table state cards, which is basically just to give a lot of variety in how you lay the cards out. Mm-hmm. Now, for anyone who has played Seven Wonders Duel, the two-player version of Seven Wonders, you know you have varying ways to lay out the cards with cards face down and cards face up. That is how you set up Fluttering Souls. So you'll have most of the cards face up, three, four, five of them face down, and you'll have them in sort of overlapping patterns so that basically you'll have one card and then on the left and right side of that card you'll have two other cards sort of tucked underneath. So you can only access cards that don't have anything overlapping. Yeah, they're completely open in the terminology of the rulebook. And you have different types of butterflies And there are different ways to score the different butterflies. So some score for a pair, some score differently for two, three, or four. Some butterflies score as a single, but if you... Or a butterfly scores as a single, but if you get two of them, you can use that as a wild butterfly of any other type. And then you've got the egg fly, which I must admit I've never heard of that as a butterfly, but I'm 
Not much of a butterfly man myself. No, well, you're not a butterflyologist. No. By trade, anyway. No, or etymologist, no, maybe? No, that's insects, isn't it? Aren't butterflies insects? I don't know. Who anyway, has time for um, all this? So you've got the, the grand egg fly, whatever it is, where it's a card that basically you can, you can take a card and you can lay that card down as a blocker. So what you're doing each turn is you're taking one butterfly card into your... Butterfly Not, tableau. Yeah, I, know, I was going to say, I don't think it's a tableau because it's just you're just putting cards there. I guess you put them in groups just to make it easier to oh, score. Look, quite simply, it's a set collection game. Yeah. It's a set collection game where you are limited in your choice, determined by the layout of the cards, which has been determined by a flip of the card, yeah. which sets up which cards are face up and which face down and in what sequence they are laid Yeah, out. and there's probably about... I don't know, 15 or 20 of those sequence cards. So it gives a, there is a lot of variety in the setup. Mm. But apart from that, as I said, yeah, you're just collecting butterflies, scoring. I mean, clearly, if you've got a small modicum of brain scarf, you could smash this out and beat your opponent three to nil because it's the first to three. Well, quite possibly you could. I did. You did, <laughs> which is a complete role reversal from the much more tricky yep. Seven Wonders Jewel. So look, this game is a filler. This game is precisely the way that Mark and I played it, which is two mates sitting in a pub at a small table having a game while having a drink. Yep. It takes about two minutes to explain. It takes maybe five minutes to play around yeah. at most, yep. but probably about two or three minutes. And as you said, you play three rounds. There are only admittedly at the moment, quite a limited number of butterflies. Mm -hmm. And that is where, obviously, not being butterflyologists, there is massive scope potentially for expansion. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at look at Wingspan. You could do exactly the same thing with this. Mm. And obviously then you're going to need to think up tricky little ways to score them. But ev even without that, there, there's a lot more. There's a lot of replayability because it's fun and it's so light, it turns Correct. over quickly. And the the big replayability doesn't necessarily come to me in the butterfly cards. It mm -hmm. comes into the layout cards. Yeah. Because it, it must be said, when you open the box, it feels like it's about a 50-50 split between the number of butterfly yeah. cards and the number of layout cards. And that's great in terms of that variability. Personally, I would prefer more of the cards in the layout to be face down because, as you say, yes. the most face-down cards that you will get will be five. Out of about, does it be about 20 or something yeah, like that? I honestly didn't count them. It's but I much prefer having a, a lot more hidden information yeah. just because when there are, and, and look, each, each card will tell you the type of butterfly it is, what you need to do to score it. Yep. So, for example, the monarch butterfly, if you get, I believe, five of those, you'll get eight points. Mm -hmm. If you get three of them, you get five points. If you get two of them, you'll get two points yep. or something to that effect. Yep. So you'll always know by looking at a card how many types of butterfly there are in the game, how many of them you need to be able to score points. Yes, and all but two of the butterfly cards are out in that tableau. Two of them basically don't get out just to provide the tiniest bit of randomness. Correct. So for me, when there is so much open information, and we played a game where I think it was the Munro butterflies, which are, might be the blue ones. Yeah. There are a maximum of six of those in the, in the deck. You need three of those to score four points. And on the placement, 
you could see five of them face yes. up already. And it's like, oh, one of us is going to get the cards required, yep. but if one of the face-down cards is also a Munro, there's a fair chance that both of us will get it. Yeah. I would much rather have a lot more hidden information, but that's just me. That's us, though, being gamers. And as we said, this is really... I mean, having it at PAX, almost perfect weight because PAX is so, to me, at least now, having been a few times... From a gameplay perspective, I think it's really targeted at the casual gamer because Absolutely. you've got the thousands and thousands of video gamers popping in, having a bit of a look in between their video game stuff. Yeah, and that's completely fair enough. My only question is what's the percentage of casual gamers who would play a two-player game? Mm. And I honestly don't know the numbers. But the flip side to that, answering my own question, will be what a perfect game for a good games or a Fluttering Souls or a Nurshark demoer to grab a random person yeah. and just say, sit down and I guarantee you will play this game within two to five minutes because that's how quickly one of the yeah, three yeah. rounds takes. And what an easy sell it is. You're matching butterflies. Go. And look, gorgeous art, lovely pictures because, of course, butterflies are very pretty. Mm. You've got these little white butterfly meeple tokens. Yep, and they, they look beautiful. count how many uh, rounds you win. Um, it's presented very nicely in a little box. So, you know, perfect in your quiver, in your back pocket, and in e your shirt pocket. And the box could be smaller than it is. Yeah. Because the box is one of those, it's like two, the size of two card, two decks of cards. Yes. And one side is the deck of cards and the other side is the space for the five uh, butterfly meeples. Yep. It could easily be yeah. super condensed. Yep. And look, for what it is and for a relatively good value game, it fits that niche. Yes. It's a lovely, beautiful, little, quick, light game about Flutterbys. Yep, and it doesn't pretend to be anything else. Nope. Uh, very clear. So congratulations to Good Games yeah. and to Joel um, for a great little game. And it, I think it's got quite a few accolades. Absolutely. And it went straight to retail, which is not something Good Games have done yeah, a lot of lately. So right. that shows you that they have a lot of confidence in the product. And it's great that that's rewarded with games selling out at conventions. Let's have a little break. And then we'll come back and talk about, I guess, another couple of games and your packs. Yeah, let's do that. Hello, everyone. It's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Dice Men Cometh. Just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, SN Unplugged, and even hopefully early next year, CanCon, where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice it, but we certainly do because, unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But, hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. That is so true that people are people. The people we spoke to at PAX, the people who design these games, the people who play games, the people who sponsor us here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. They're real people. And that is LFG. 
As we said, they've got the Essen Unplugged event coming up 22nd to the 24th of November in Canberra. They also run LFG in Sydney, which you'll remember Leon went to this year, I went to last year, and Trent even went to two years ago. And all three Dice Men should be going to next year. Book your tickets for that one already if you want to meet all three of us at once. Does life get any better than that? Well, it might. I get to meet us every single week, and I tell you what, it's one of the top five things I do every week. Now, Good Games Publishing, Good Games Retail, they've been doing good games, see what I did there, for, uh, for quite some time, and Garth... We've got a second good game to talk about tonight. Well, we certainly do, and this is a good game that we first played two years ago. Yeah. And it was a game that obviously wasn't released then. However, the version we played then is very similar to the version we played last night. We are talking about Fairy Season, Mm. uh, which is by Dan Fish and Gavin Jenkins, both both of whom are first-time designers. Both of whom are Aussies. And art... (laughs) By Sean Andrew Muttonhead Murray. I mean, look, there's, you know, there's Eno Tool, there's the Miko, or yes. the Miho, and then there's Muttonhead. Muttonhead. Now, I don't care if he's Australian or not, but he's an honorary Australian <laughs> at right. worst. So, look, Fairy Season is another small box, small rules, small game time game. Mm-hmm. So, what is it? Well... Like a lot of the games that Dicemen have been talking about in recent weeks with good friend of the show, Aos, having paid us a visit, uh, it's a trick-taking game. Now, this particular trick-taking game involves both fairies and goblins and the royals and some traps and the seasons, mm. of which there are four, just now, to educate you, Mark. Garth, I will interject because I have been listening to a few podcasts lately and there is a lot of discussion. Is it a trick-taking game? Or is it a ladder climbing game because how the the different cards escalate? And often a trick is you all play one card yep. and one person wins that. Whereas with a ladder playing, uh, climbing game, like something like Tichu or um, Trent, Aos and I played Chimera, which mm-hmm. was a three-player yeah, ladder yeah. climbing game, where you the, 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 the trick... The round can go round multiple times if you can keep climbing higher on the ladder. And that's completely fair enough. Yeah. So what I will do is defer to the publisher. Mm -hmm. And the publisher says, Fairy Season is a trick-taking card game. I'll only say that the publisher says that because it's on the page of the game (laughs) on Board Game Geek. Fair enough. Which is probably where some people might look at it. Well, a lot of people do call them trick-taking games. Between you and me, it's probably a ladder game. Yeah. Probably. Because you go round round and round and round. Yeah, that's right. So look... This game, at the start, everyone will be dealt with five cards. You look at your five cards and your cards will be made up of fairies, of which there are fairies in the four seasons, spring, summer, autumn and winter. There are, within each season, there are fairies numbered one through to eight. Mm. So there is spring fairies, one through to eight, summer fairies, one through to eight, autumn and winter, so and so. Mm. Now, what you need to do is always be able to play a fairy or another card but at least a fairy that is one better than the card that was played. Or, in fact, this game has an extra little bonus if you play exactly the same card that was played. So say, for example, Mark, I play a spring three fairy. Yes. 
pretty strong opening move because it's spring, yeah. which is the first season of the year. Now, all of the spring cards, when you play them, you get an immediate bonus, which is draw two cards. Mm. That's great. More cards is good. But if the player then to my immediately left plays the exact same spring card, they will also get to draw two cards, but then they will get the opportunity to either draw another one or to stash a card. Garth. What? What is stashing? Oh, my God, I'm so glad you asked. So stashing a card is when you place it kind of just in front of your yep. face up, and that is points. Every single fairy card that you stash is worth precisely one point. Whoever has the most points at the end of a trick will win. Mm. Whee! So the round will go fairy, 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 fairy until no more fairies can be played. Oi, that's what you would think. Yes. What throws a little bit of a goblin spanner in the works <laughs> is that there are goblins there. Oh, my God. Oh, my now, gob. Oh, my gob. Now, goblins come in all shapes and sizes as long as they are a perfect card size. But the goblins themselves are different. There are goblins that if you play will duplicate the fairy that was just played. Yeah. If you play a goblin, it might allow you to take some fairies or some cards from another person's stash. There yeah. might be goblins that allow you to duplicate the last goblin that was played. There are goblins that do a whole bunch of things yep. which throws a whole bunch of random situations into this game. Heaps of tricksy goblins, and that's a fun thing to do. The it only is. problem is... The goblins aren't worth any points they at the were, end of the game. Well, they are. There were zero. Zero a number? We could argue about that Correct. for a long time. So there are goblins thrown in. And then you have royalty. Now, royalty of which there are, I believe, only four in the game. Correct. King, queen, prince and princess. Correct. They are cards that will become apparent as soon as someone has played a trap mm. card. Now, trap cards are... I'm fed up with all of this fairy goodness. I just want to win. So instead of playing a fairy card, I'm going to trap all of the fairies and I hope that no one else can play a card so I get the trick. Yep. I get all the fairy cards, which means I get all the points. Now, that's all good and well if you're a mean, nasty person. Mm. But if you play a trap card, the person to your left has a couple of options. They can either play another trap card, <gasps> which steal means the, that they'll take the it from you, trick. or they can play a royal, and a royal will have freed all the fairies and everyone will be free and there'll be hugs and kisses and lardy darners. And that means that the player to the left of whoever played the royal has to then continue the trick. So if a trap was played on a fairy that was autumn three, whoever played the royal then means the left... Yep. Leftmost player of them can play another Autumn Three Fairy or above and above. Point. So it re doesn't reset the trick, but mm. it opens it up again mm. for more people to continue. And that's all the game is. As soon as the trick... Sorry, as soon as someone can't play a card on the trick, they are deemed to have flunk. Doubt. Yes. And that then kind of sets a timer. A couple of people might have the opportunity to play cards and reset it. If they can't, whoever started the person... Flunking wins the trick. The, the swarm, I believe it's Is called. That what you it's get called? The, the swarm of fairies. There you go. They win it, win points, and then you restart. Everyone draws up to five and away you go. Yeah, and there's quite a big, thick uh, deck. There so is you, quite a you generally play quite a, a few swarms. So, look, we played, this, we played this again last night. So, last night consisted of Betrayal Legacy. Mm -hmm. Then we played quite a few rounds yeah. of Fairy Season, mm -hmm. at least. 
God, three full games of this? Yeah. And then we finished up with a bit of Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters. And this game plays super quick. The art looks beautiful. The box is really small. The most complicated part of this game is explaining what the royals do and how they interact with the goblins and the traps because maybe it was the teacher of the game. I don't know. Maybe. But it's just quite simply it feels like the royals will release traps. Yeah. And that's that's it. And and that, that trick was that, that the not the trick, the way they do it is the very next person after a trap can play another trap um, or a royal. If that person can't do it and they have to pass or flunk, then anyone then has the option to play. Only a royal will get it out. And the thing is, there's only four royals in the whole game. Yeah. They're worth two points at the end of the round instead of one. So do you want to give up your royal? And then particularly depending on where we are in the seasons and the numbers of fairies, like I made a mistake where I played a royal to spring open a trap, but because it was only summer, I think, then there were lots more cards played Correct. and the royal was gone. Yeah, so each of the season cards have bonuses. As I said, if you play a spring card, you get to draw two cards. If you have a summer card, you get to draw one. If you play an autumn card, you get to draw one and stash one, mm. which is a victory point. And then for winter, you just get to stash one yep. when you play it. So there's certainly strategy involved. Someone might lead with a spring card and you might be the next player and go straight to winter because that is your strategy. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the yeah. trick. And you don't necessarily want to win the trick because if you have a royal or a trap, you might be able to ultimately win it from someone who yeah. thought they were going to win it. So there's a lot of little strategy involved. There's also, if you can get all four of the royals, which there are only four of them in this big deck, into your stash, insta-win. Yeah. So, look, this is a nice little game. It's certainly the next level of complexity up from something like Fluttering yeah. Souls. We've played a lot of trick-taking games in recent weeks, mm -hmm. and it's fun. Yeah. It's certainly not the best of them, but it's certainly not the worst of them. And as far as getting it a quick, easy game to the table that has a little bit of interest where you can have that replayability... I'd certainly sit down and play it. And again, just like the butterflies, look, the fairies are, they sort of look like butterflies with a human stuck on the front of them. They're, they're very cute. The goblins, they're, they're funny little pictures. So the cards are very bright and colourful. Um, again, it's something that is in a small box, easy to carry around. And did e someone say it was $18 yeah, or something? Yes. So that's a bargain. You are guaranteed to get $18 worth yeah, of fun yeah. out of this game. Look, I think it's it's... You know, it's worth an investment. Yeah. If you have half an hour to kill, you'll be able to play one or two versions, of, sorry, one or two full games yeah. of this, and that's great. Awesome. So um, two good games by good games. Um, now, Garth, we've only got about oh, five or less minutes left, and we've got two things we need to talk about. All right. So first one, I just want to say a couple of very quick things about PAX. Go. We had AOS in the studio last week, and he gave us his thoughts. I should listen to that episode. You should. Um I want to give my very brief thoughts on PAX, just in terms of what is PAX like for gamers. Okay, go. Um, as I said, quite casual. It's you no, didn't have to wear a tuxedo. No. It's no BorderCon, it's no CanCon in, CanCon in terms of people playing the heavy strategy games. You can certainly take your friends along and play, but most of the crowd there are playing lighter games. So, again, lots of... Munchkin, lots of Catan, lots of King of Tokyo. Yeah, Secret Hitler and those yeah. sort of social deduction sure. games. Fair enough. Um, look, there's a lot of games in the library. As 
We did mention in last week's episode, unfortunately, the library didn't get their delivery of the newest games. Oh, really? So maybe that was why it was a little bit off, perhaps, for the people coming to check out the new hotness. Okay. Um, But on the other hand, collaboratory... I just can't say that word. The, The collab lab, the joint effort of Tgda packs and there's another group so this is independent australian designers showing off their wares yes so um they had their prototypes most of them fairly advanced prototypes playing in a big set aside area quite close to the video game section and it was just pumping all weekend as far as i if you want more details from a design perspective get in touch with tgda because they basically set up the roster of people who could come in have their games on the table for maybe one or two hours and then they had to go yeah okay. but it was just pumping there were so many designers and so many gamers there playing so many games all weekend i played a couple um i stood around and watched lots there were some really good looking games there that's cool what else That's probably about it. All right, well, let's go to the other big news, which is that I've heard Australia's Independent Media Tabletop Awards have announced their Kanga winners for 2019. Is that true? Garth, you're talking about the Kanga Awards voted for by a panel of media experts in Australia. Independent media experts. That's right. And there's... I know we've talked about this because, of course, we are part of that panel of independent experts. There are three categories... There is Game of the Year, which is like the best of everything. There's the best gameplay, and there's the best visuals. Mm. Now, to be a part of this award, all you need to have in your game is some Australian input. Yeah. Could be a designer, could be a publisher, could be an artist. Who knows? We know. We know. Because we've had to play and research a lot of That's right, and there was a lot of Which is a great problem to have. Yeah, and look. In case people didn't know, in these awards, you don't have to do anything to have your game in there. It's not like some awards where you have to send all the judges one or two copies you of your game. You have two things. It has to be a published game or it has to be in a successful Kickstarter that delivered two backers yeah, yeah, yeah. within in, a certain time. In terms of the time You can't frame. just write something on the back of a napkin and go, there's my game. But no, you don't have to send copies of your game to all the judges at a great cost to yourself. No, but it would Ho- be nice. But you don't have to. No. You don't have All to. games produced by Australians that fit that criteria, cut-off date, end of April each year. And, as I said, three categories. So the nominees for Best Visuals were Everdell, Lucidity and Escape Plan. And the winner was... Escape Plan! With art by Ian O'Toole. Australia's own Ian O'Toole. Oh, he's amazing. And, look, the reason the judges saw this to be the winner was because... It was very stylized. it jumped off the shelf, and because the design, both graphically and artistically, assisted gameplay. So it was overall very sexy. Absolutely. Best gameplay were... The three nominees were Kingdom of Aya, Kingmaker, Everdell, and The Brigade. And the winner was... The Brigade! And that's because it was really accessible, really approachable. Who doesn't want to be a fantasy fireman? And congratulations to Red Genie Games, Alex and Ben. And the final one, Game of the Year... Brigade, Brass Birmingham, and the winner was Everdell. 
so. with Dan May being in charge of game development and also graphic design and a lot of the art. A beautiful game. We have reviewed it on our show. Um, we love it. It offers so much in every dimension. Correct. How could we go past it? Look, it was the complete package, yeah. which is why the judges saw that it was game of the year. Uh, so, look, I am really excited but also a little bit scared. Yep. We've got to do this all again for next year. We do. We've always got to come up with this. Oh, my God, so many games. Uh, if you want to know more about the Kanga, check out facebook.com forward slash Kanga Award. You'll see a video of us announcing it there. Um, just Google it. We've had so much fun. We're going to be back again next week. Sorry it's been so rushed. There's so much to talk about it with games. We'll see you next week. Bye. Booyah. Bye. This has been an edit of The Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.